Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, hello, all of my beautiful freaking people. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today, we are diving in to probably every other message I get in my DM, which is how do I get over him? What the fuck is wrong with me? And how can I let this motherfucker go? So sit back, grab a cocktail and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19, can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not in chapter six. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. You guys, I kid you not when I say the majority of people that reach out to me after, you know, they've read the book um, and listened to the podcast are, you know, I can't let go of my ex. How do I let go of my ex? Gabrielle, can you do an episode on how to get over my fucking ex? So your wish is my command. Today we are bringing on Tess Brigham. She is a millennial therapist and really specializes in this type of work. Those obsessive thoughts that we can't let go, those daydreaming fantasies where you're like, fuck, I just wish I could get this out of my brain. We are going to dive into all of that with her today. So let's get into the interview. Tess Brigham, welcome to FML Talk. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you here because of the the expertise that you have. And it's literally what gets sent into my DMs on a daily basis. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to answer these questions. Yes, it's it's so important and it happens so often when we're in these relationships, whether they be toxic relationships or if you're just trying to let go of a breakup that, you know, was a long time coming where we can't let go of our ex and we have these issues of getting them out of our system, if you will. So I guess to start off, um, I really, truly, not kidding, on the daily, we'll have someone say, you know, I just can't stop thinking about this person or I know he's bad for me, but I keep going back or I just can't fully get over him. So what's your experience as to kind of like the brain stuff behind that of why we can't get someone out of our system? Yeah, well, I mean, and and this the thing is, is that you're obsessing over this ex um, or former relationship because of that push and pull, yeah. right? Like if it, it's, it's almost, if you think about it, like how uh, addicted we get to emails or anything else, it's the same thing. Like emails are almost like a slot machine. Like 
will it be good? Will it be good stuff? Yes. You know, like happy <laughs> stuff. And texts are like, when we hear the ding of a text, like, Ooh, what's this text going to be? And so yeah. our brains are conditioned for when we get a little bit of something and then it's taken away a little bit more big payoff, you know, small payoffs like that, that, that almost that addiction to, um, well, this might be it, or this right. might be really good. This might be a great email or whatever. And I think that when you have these relationships where there's a lot of push pull and there's definitely from what I've seen, and I've been in these relationships myself where there is that, you know, anxious and avoidant, if you talk about attachment types and you usually it's the female who meets this guy who swoops her off her feet or says the things that she wants to, you know, dying to hear, um, or even, you know, is a combination of everything they think they've been looking for, mm -hmm. but he's, you know, sometimes he calls, sometimes he doesn't, I should say text. I'm old. Sometimes he texts, <laughs> sometimes he doesn't. Um, you never quite sure when he's going to text. You don't know what you're going to get. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Is this, you know, all of that. That push-pull is the thing that gets us hooked because if you are always feeding quarters into the machine knowing I'm going to get three cherries, well, right. why keep playing? You right. know? But if you are never quite sure what you're going to get, then that's what makes it exciting. And there could be something really good and a payoff. And yeah. so when someone is, when you have this push-pull and you're getting someone who's kind of pushing you away... And suddenly they stop pushing you away. Suddenly they, they don't want that. It, it instantly feels like, oh, I did something right. Or, oh, I'm good. Or, oh, oh, it's now it's happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's the piece of it. So someone who you, and I see this a lot, right. With our friends. So like, why does she keep going back to that guy? He's such a loser. You know, yeah. all of your friends can see it so clearly. And the thing is, is that when you're in it, when that person's saying, yes, yes, no, no, yes, right, that, that is what hooks you in. And that's yes. why it makes it so hard. I'm so glad that someone else said it to validate what I preach on this show all the time. <laughs> you know, we talk about those love goggles that go on mm -hmm. when you're in that relationship. And like you said, all of your friends can be like, bitch, what is happening? Like, you need to leave. This is a toxic situation. And you're just like, no, but here's all the reasons why it's not. And let me excuse his behavior this way. It, and it happens so often. So mm -hmm. for me, you know, the the scenario that I give that all of my readers and now listeners know is with the man that kind of broke my heart before going on this Europe adventure um, named Javier. And when we came back from that, it was a very breadcrummy situation. Mm -hmm. Have you, are you familiar, are you familiar oh, with the yes. breadcrumbing turn? When it first came up to me, I had to like look it up. Google right, it. Yeah, clients, yeah. But once I was like, oh yes. Yes. Oh yeah. So for everybody, for a little refresh, breadcrumbing is when, you know, you'll not hear from someone for a while, but then you'll get a text to be like, hey, just thinking about you. Or, you know, you'll get a call where someone mm -hmm. kind of pops in and they're like, oh, hey. And it, the, the little things that keep you dangling on that hook, even though they're not showing up in the way that you want them to, they're not you know, really putting in the time or effort or being there for you. And I went through that for so long. And I think that what you said a few moments ago about, you know, that push pull being on that hook, being like, when is this person going to reach out to me? When is the next time I'm going to see him? Cause you knew it was going to happen. It was mm -hmm. just a matter of time. Yeah. And then because of that, you were, you know, energetically putting up this wall 
to other people or, you know, healthy things that were trying to come into your life because you were holding out for when that next breadcrumb was coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the part that's really hard is it does require you to, when they, they comment on your Instagram photo or when they text you and, or when they show up with that phone call late at night, it's like, that's the moment in time where you have to say, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm done. And you either need to say it to them. Like, you know, I know you're just calling to say hi, but I I need to not know you and you need to move on. Or you have to make that decision for yourself. Because I think a lot of times people will say, oh yeah, that's in the past, whatever. But sure enough, if a text comes through, they're jumping right back in. But you you have to co- you have to consciously decide, like, I am done. And what's hard about that is when you say I am done to something, you are saying I'm done to all of the fantasies, all of the dreams, all of mm. everything. Like, because this is the person in your mind that you've been obsessing about and loving, and they're the ones and they're the only one and nobody, you go on other dates and nobody can be as great as they are, right? You go through all of that. And so there is that, that, you know, it's so hard, but you do have to be that one to say, I'm done. I deserve better. And I have to follow through on that. And yeah. I think a lot of times women, which I understand, which is, okay, well, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll keep doing this dance with this guy and I'll maybe date other people or, you know, and, and if I find someone else over here, I'll dump this, right? Like that idea of like, you know, let me keep all my options open. And yeah. I really- Me, do- I, I am women. <laughs> <laughs> But I, and I do, and maybe, listen, I'm a Californianer, so maybe it's the Californianer in me, but I really do energetically believe you have to say, I'm done. Yes. I'm done. And, yeah. and, and it requires you to go out on a limb on your own and say, okay, this is it. Yeah. Which yeah. is so fucking empowering when you finally decide to do that. And it's true. Like our thoughts are really fucking powerful yeah. and they're going to create our reality in some way, shape or form. So for example, with Javier, I, you know, was continuously, like you said, playing out those, those fantasies, those what ifs, those, um, maybe we'll run into each other here. And that shit manifested in my life. Like sure as shit smack ran into each other at a fucking nightclub. And then this whole thing kind of started again it was still toxic as all hell and not good for me. Mm -hmm. But I created that because of the fantasies and the thinking and the not choosing to say, okay, no more, we're done. The second I decided to put up that boundary and was like, okay, we are really done. We're not thinking about it anymore. We're not obsessing over anything. We're not fantasizing. The universe was like, oh, okay, she's really ready to be done now and started delivering me all of this amazing stuff because I was no longer accepting so much less than my worth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it requires you to do that because the thing is, is that it's, that's the part that people don't quite understand is you have to be the one to say it and and say, I might be floating out on the limb all by myself. Like yeah. it might be me alone for years, year. I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm willing to energetically choose myself over this person. Yes. Which I think, especially for women, it's really hard because we're conditioned to be nice, to do this, to do that, to be the one, you know, all of, all of that. But it is, it is, it's incredibly powerful and incredibly scary. So yeah. that's why people don't do it as much as they, they need to, because it, it's scary, you know, and I understand that. 
Absolutely. So what are your tips when someone is in this situation and they're, you know, having the fantasies and having the obsessive thoughts and they're like, fuck, I just can't let this person go. What are your tips on how to kind of like retrain your brain into fully letting that go. I've Mm -hmm. talked about before kind of whenever that thought comes up, almost like the rubber band technique where you would like snap a rubber band on your wrist, but be like, no, I am not going to go there and like consciously change your thought to like elephants or ice cream or whatever, what have you, Mm -hmm. um, to really retrain that thought process, like a muscle of like, nope, nope, we're not going there. We're not going there. So what are some of your tips to, try and get it, get out of the thick of it when, when people are in it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great one. And that's one that where you just, you know, your mind starts to go there and it's like, nope, nope, you're done moving on, focus on something else. I think another one is a big reason, you know, is being able to see the person as the whole person. And you mentioned this earlier, this idea of, right. You have the, the honeymoon period and, oh, they're so great. And it's so wonderful. And what happens is, you know, you, someone might show you this relationship, uh, a year long relationship and the first two months were great. And the rest of it was terrible. And the person, when you're obsessing, you're going back to those first two months. So it's really about you stopping yourself and thinking like, look at the whole relationship. Like you cannot just focus on the first couple months, like look at everything because you want to take that person off the pedestal. You're Mm -hmm. obsessing about, we obsess about idols because we put them on pedestals and we make them unreal. So take the person off the pedestal and really look at them as a whole person of every single thing that they're doing. And maybe it might take one of those, one of your friends and you say, okay, tell me everything that he did that I told you that was awful. Like write it down for me so that every time I can go and pick up the paper and look at it and really see it because you have to start, you have to stop making this person the ideal. They're not. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're really preaching such fucking hard facts right now. And it's so Oh, I resonate so much with so, so much of what you just said. It's putting them on that pedestal. And especially in the very beginning, um, when everything is amazing, especially in a love bombing type of situation, which is what I experienced. And it was like Prince Charming, like everything is perfect. And then whenever it is that everything changes or you get your heart broken or they start becoming different or there's disrespect involved, it's like, you built this person up to be someone who they were showing you that they were for the first two months. Everybody can be fucking amazing Mm. for two months. I mean, it takes longer than that to get past some of the like bullshit layers of society that we are programmed to kind of like put on, you know, on a first date or when we're courting someone and you continually keep that person in this mindset of like, this is who I believe them to be. And then they start showing you, no, 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 this is not who I am over and over and over again. And you have to believe them when they show you that. It's like, you can't keep hoping and imagining that this person is going to be someone that they were never capable of being in Mm -hmm. the first place. Yeah. Well, and I think if you're someone also who is Um, and I'm always shocked. I'm always shocked when I see something where, you know, someone's lied about something publicly or they stolen something. And right. If you're someone who doesn't lie or steal, or you live an honest life, like it's really hard to think, well, wait a second, all of these were lies. Like, because 
if you're not a liar, you're not spotting lies. Right. And so that's the part two is, is it's really hard to believe like, wait a second, you know, um, did he lie about all that? Like that can't be true. And so that it takes your brain a little bit of time to like catch up to, oh, wow, you know, this person could flat out lie to me. And then our egos get involved in that because, well, what was the truth? What wasn't the truth? And right. if you're seeking so much validation from that person, if that relationship was giving you a lot of validation to then have to let go of the lies and see them as lies, you then have to admit to yourself, oh, wow, like maybe he wasn't in love with me as much as I thought. And I have to really, I mean, and again, it doesn't mean that you don't deserve love. It just means that you have to recognize that, oh, wow, you know, I was placing a lot in what this other person thought of me or validated yes. for me. And I need yes. to stop and say, I'm a lovable person. I deserve love. And at the same time, this person didn't love me. 100%. It's so hard. It's, and it's painful. It's incredibly painful. Yeah. And so with the pain, um, when you're fully, you know, apart from this person now, whether you're, you've broken up or it's a breadcrumbing situation, there's a lot of, I feel like people experience a lot of shame when they can't get rid of these thoughts and they're constantly like having the daydreams or the fantasies. How do you cope with and kind of let go of that shame that comes with those feelings? Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Yeah. And shame is such a hard emotion. I don't know if you talk about Brene Brown on this podcast, or if you mention mm -hmm. her, but you know, she's a leading, one of the leading experts on vulnerability and shame. Yes. And I truly believe shame is one of those feelings that is like, we will do anything to avoid shame, anger, yeah. you know, frustration. And one of the ways in which we is to dig into like, no, this person's like this. No, they're like that, as opposed to coming over to the shame. Yeah. And so shame is very much how you write, how you perceive it to be. And so it, it's, it can be difficult, but it's really about you being able to say, <clears throat> I'm not going to shame myself for this. I feel shame. I want to retreat. I want to not talk about it. I want to, you know, live in my fantasy land and, and just want this to go away. 
Or you can decide for yourself, like, I don't need to broadcast it on social media, but that I'm not going to be shamed full of this. Yeah. And I think this is a lot of what, you know, I think one of the things, because I, I specialize in working with young adults, like Gen, Gen Z, millennials, and I'll get these older generations that'll say to me, how do you work with those young people? And I'll say, <laughs> these generations have done so much for all of us in many different ways. And I think one of the biggest ones is, is that they come to the light. You know, you see this constantly with women coming forward, people coming forward, talking about these things that happened to them that created so much shame. And they're willing to say, this is what happened to me. So I do see this. It's not, it's good. I see this trend moving where people are starting to see that if I hide Right? There's an expression in the drug and alcohol world that you're only sick as your secrets. So if I hide these secrets away, if I do this, then, you know, I'm not really, I'm just shaming me. Everything's internal and I need to start shame. You know, the shame needs to go towards the guy. The shame needs yeah. to go towards society. The shame needs to go this way out outward from me. But that yeah. again is just, that's, that's just identifying your thoughts and being able to shift them and change them and mold them. And again, um, you know, we are so, I don't know what the statistic is. It's something like, you know, 95% by the time we're 30, like 95% of our habits are, are so ingrained because the neurons have been firing in such a way for so long that it's so dug in there, you know, that, and so that, that's the part that's really important to understand is, is these, these thought patterns, these behaviors, all of this, you've been doing this for decades. And so for you to say, oh my God, I'm thinking about him. Let let me shame myself, right? Slap myself, shame myself. Don't, don't, it takes a long time to stop. You've been thinking about this person obsessively for a year not going to take you two days to get over it. It's going to take right. you a minute here. Right. Right. Yeah. I saw, uh, this post recently and it was, you know, a cutout of the human body and highlighted where we experience certain emotions. So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, love and the heart was lit up and like anger and, um, grief and nervousness and shame. When you got to shame, it was the whole body mm-hmm. was affected mm-hmm. and it, you know, the post was inferring that like shame is the worst human emotion one can feel and the one that we least know what to do with and how much it like affects your physical body when you're going through it. And I remember I was doing a session with my therapist. This was a long time ago. And I was talking to her about, you know, these thoughts that I was having about my ex. And I was like, I just don't know how to get fucking rid of them. And I feel crazy. And then I, you know, go down a rabbit hole and feel guilty. And she was like, okay, so why are you not just saying okay to the thoughts? Like, why are you placing? Because the only person that's placing any of the guilt and shame feelings is you. Mm. So instead of having the thought come up and being like, you know, shaking a finger at yourself and being like, shameful, shameful. Why don't you just acknowledge the thought and then decide to let it go and have a different one? And I was like, oh shit, what a fucking concept that is (laughs) to like not beat myself up for this because like A, I'm human and B, like I've been through some traumatic shit with this individual. So like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to not place the shame on yourself when you don't have to. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and when I talk about emotions with my clients, I, you know, what I, I really want them to understand and, and 
sounds like your therapist did this beautifully is there's two levels to it. There are the thoughts and there's the thoughts that we have. Those thoughts lead to our feelings, right? There's the thoughts that we have, which are totally okay and acceptable. Those we need to accept. Then there's the judgment of our thoughts. That's Mm. where all the problems lie, right? There's nothing wrong with your thoughts. There's nothing wrong with your feelings. It's the judgment that you're placing. That is, and if you can, as much as you can, you know, see, is this, okay, my thought is I feel this, or I, you know, this is the thought versus the should, when you say should and would, and I could like all of that, that's when those words come up, but it's really starting to understand like, okay, these are my thoughts and my feelings and they're okay. And these are the judgments and the judgments are from right society and life and myself and blah, 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 you know, all of that mixed in together and that I don't have to listen to. Yes. Right. Because everyone always pushes this. Oh, you got to feel your feelings, feel this, feel, feel, feel. And you do, you have to feel your feel like you have to get through things, but you can go through something without shaming yourself. And so when, I mean, a technique that has been used a million and one times, you've seen people talk about it in terms of like helping people's self-esteem, but one of the best things you can do for yourself, especially women is stop and say, okay, if this was my best friend, this was someone mm. that I really loved and cared about. What would I say to them about it? Like, how would I tell them to think about this particular issue? Or right. Thought? And also That's because we're always so much nicer yes. to our best friends and the people that we love than we are to ourselves. Yeah. where if we're in front of our best friend, we'd be like, okay, so I'm going to give you a little tough love. And like, it's not really the greatest thing that you're doing this. And maybe like, here are some other ways that it would be better. And with ourself, we're like, you're fucking horrible. You're mm-hmm. terrible. What the fuck is wrong with you? You're a piece of shit. Yeah. And it's like that self-talk is never going to get us to the outcome that we're trying to achieve or mm-hmm. make us feel any better in the fucking process. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and our friends can always see us for who we, the, the full person of who we are versus in our minds, we feel like we have to be what perfect or whatever it is, whatever the, the idea in our heads that, of what we're, what we are supposed to be as a, as a human being going through life. Yeah. So let's talk about love bombing a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, are you familiar with the term? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know there are all these like new age terms that like, <laughs> I never, I never even knew what love bombing was until yes. I was fucking scrolling on TikTok and saw it and was like, oh shit, that happened to me. Um, but I think the more we can, you know, talk about them and give them names, like the love bombing and the breadcrumbing, the more people can feel like they're not fucking crazy yeah. when they go through these experiences. So when people go through, you know, love bombing or a narcissistic relationship or any type of toxic dynamic in a relationship, there's also like a chemical psychological thing that happens to you. It's not just like, and then there's a breakup and you're in shambles, you know, and people are like, and now I'm crazy and this is, I I should be over this by now. But when stuff like that happens to you, there's some psychological stuff that you're trying to recover from and some traumas that have been put in place that you're now trying to rewire. Mm-hmm. How do you go about unpacking that when you go through, you know, any type of traumatic breakup? And that, and, and that part's really hard. And, and I will say it's, it's hard to sort of answer this question on this larger scent without like knowing little details of what people are going right. through. Because it's so that, because trauma is, it is so personal to you and how, yeah. what happened to you and how you saw it. 
Um, and the responses that come from that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think, right, that that if you think about something like love bombing, um, you know, what is so difficult, what is the, the big thing with love bombing is we were just talking about this idea of what, how we see ourselves versus how other people see us. So someone's coming into our world and seeing us in such a light, in mm -hmm. such a way, in such this perfect way. And it's a little bit of like, this is what I've been waiting for my whole, right? This is either what I've been waiting for my whole life. You know, someone finally sees me and finally gets me, um, you know, whatever that feeling is, because as human beings at the core, the, the very, the very, very, the, Biggest thing that we all struggle with, no matter who you are, what your background is, at the very core, we just want to feel like we're enough. Yes. We just want to feel like we are good enough, pretty enough, this enough, that enough for the people, you know, for the world. And the biggest fear in our lives is I'm not enough. And so here you are, you're bebopping along. And so that's the whole part about trauma and where you're at in your life when the person comes into it, because if you're in this really vulnerable state of never feeling like you're enough, never feel like parents didn't think out, parents were always telling me how I could be better. You know, I had a sibling who was better than me. So they're telling me how, right. If you've spent your entire life not feeling like you're enough and someone comes into your orbit and says, you are enough, you are enough. Mm -hmm. and you're more than enough. You are amazing yeah. and wonderful. And all of these things and I see you and I want to be with you and all of this, like you have this and it's there. And then for that same person to slowly tell you, no, you're not enough in these ways. No, you're not enough in these ways. You're this, you're this, right? How damaging that can be because yes. now you're sort of like, oh, wait a second. You know, was I ever enough? Am I not enough? Right? Like who, who am I in all of this? And I think that's the part that is so difficult because and I don't know. I don't know what it is about some of these, some of these men and women, I shouldn't just narrow down men, but some men, yeah. women, people, they, they have a knack of finding people who really don't feel like they're enough or that there's mm -hmm. something missing. So it doesn't right. mean that if you've been in this relationship where this person's love bombed you, that you've always felt like you weren't enough, but they might've met you right around a time where you were doubting it or where you're mm -hmm. feeling vulnerable around it or something. And it's almost like, no, no, no. I'm going to come in. I'm going to come in and tell you and fill that, that hole inside of yourself. I'm going to fill yeah. that up. And then I'm going to slowly take it away and take it away and take it away and give you some back and then take it away and give it some back and take it away where, so you're constantly sort of like trying to figure out. Yeah. What should I be? Like, what should I do? Seriously, everyone that's listening to that right now is probably laughing right along with me and going like, yep, that's exactly what Gabrielle went through with Javier. How interesting, <laughs> like fucking textbook to a T. And it's, it's so damaging when you don't know that there's a term for it, when you mm -hmm. don't see like that, you know, there's a blueprint kind yeah. of, of how these things go. And you just feel like you've been tossed aside and the, everybody else, you know, like we were talking about, can clearly see that this isn't what you deserve, that this isn't okay. But you're like, no, 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 you guys must not understand. This person has to love me because of what I just experienced with them. Mm -hmm. And it it really messes with your brain to, to be like, no, 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 this couldn't have happened to me mm -hmm. because of that vulnerable state that they find you in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then 
it, then it becomes, then what happens is, is that because this person's kind of gotten into your mind and into your psyche, which is what these men and women are very, very good at doing is that you stop trusting yourself. You stop trusting that you know what's good for you. You stop trusting that you know what's right. You stop trusting, like, does this feel right to me? Like you almost stop trusting yourself and how you feel because they've kind of, you know, they're in that hole, (laughs) you know, they've gotten a hold of it and they're in there and they're messing around with it. And that's such a, such a vulnerable um, spot, you know, to be in that that's the part that is, is so incredibly difficult and it takes a long time to untangle you know what's what's real what's not real who am i who who am i not all of that and um which is also you know why i think we see a lot of young people you know people these things happen to people at various ages but you know it is i mean this is why some men prey on younger women like you know because when you're not fully developed as a human being it is really hard to say well wait a minute hold on you know, no, that's not who I am. If you haven't had a lot of relationships in your life, if you haven't had a lot of experiences, suddenly it's like, oh, this is what love's supposed to feel like. And I think this is the other part of it too. And I, I blame rom-coms and I blame a lot of what (laughs) we see in the media, right? Like it's changed considerably, but it's only really been in the last, what, five years that we're really... seeing people talk about narcissism and dirty Johns and, you know, all of these levels of things. But right movies and and have portrayed romance as being this uh anguish and heart gushing and right like all of that stuff and i've been married over 18 years and i love my husband he's a wonderful man but it is not like a roller coaster of like woo you know excitement all the time because real love committed love with another person is kind of boring you know, it's, I'll get behind that. I'll get behind that. (laughs) Like all, and, but that's what they say is that when you, when you find someone that you're going to commit to spending your life with, Mm -hmm. make sure you have that friendship and that bond and that compatibility, because look at some point, you know, people can be like, that's not fucking true. And they're lying. That shit will fade. Mm -hmm. And there's ways to, you know, spice things up and to like throw different stuff into the mix, of course. And that doesn't mean that like sex is just going to like dissipate and be boring for the rest of your life. But all of that passion and like Mm -hmm. craziness, that stuff will eventually fade. And you want to be with someone that is going to honor and respect you, make you fucking laugh till you pee yourself. And like that you have fun hanging out with my, my boyfriend and I, like we laugh because people talk about during the pandemic, it's like everyone either got divorced or started having babies. Like there was no in between. And we thrive during the pandemic because we were like, hell yes, we will hang out and snuggle and binge watch TV shows. And we are fine Mm -hmm. like because we just enjoy each other's company. And I think that's so important for people to have a like a a grasp in reality on like what the expectations are that it's not going to be this, you know, insane, passionate roller coaster love affair for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And eventually like you're going to get motion sickness if that's the case. (laughs) Like you don't want that for fucking 20 plus years. Like I can't imagine having that, you know, it's not, it's not sustainable. I mean, and, and so Right. So then you have to reconcile for yourself. Like, well, what is it? What is love? Like, what is that? What is my life going to be? What's the meaning behind it? And, and, um, 
right? Because we all want, and I say this to my clients all the time. I'm like, everybody wants, oh my God, passion, excitement. And I know they're going to show up for me the next day. And I said, the problem is these two things don't, you know, you can have them in a relationship, but that grand, exciting passion and like, will they, won't they is- That goes toxic as fuck. (laughs) And it goes completely against what makes us feel safe and secure. Yes. Right. And so, so the pro that's the problem. And I think that for a lot of people, if their relationships, especially, and I've had clients over the years where I've seen this, where their first relationship was so toxic that it's just, you know, they keep getting back into these kinds of relationships over and over again. They can't stop themselves because their brains have been rewired of this is what love is. Oh my God. Hi, I'm client again. (laughs) I mean, it only took me one time to figure it out, but like, yes, that's Mm -hmm. so spot on. Like you have to recognize like, oh shit, my definition of love has become toxic and I'm searching for this shit that I don't really actually fucking want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you think there's a difference between, cause we've talked a lot about how, you know, you're having to let go of, you know, a love bombing situation or a toxic relationship. If someone's relationship, you know, ran its course Mm -hmm. and there was no cheating, there was no like toxic dynamic. They just like plain didn't work out. Um, How does someone let go of that if they're just full on heartbroken in that sense? Like, is there a different process? Are we following the same guidelines of the, you know, controlling the thoughts? Mm -hmm. Is there a different kind of, does that look different than if you're coming out of a more toxic dynamic? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's some similarities and differences. Um, I think for this case, like if your marriage, if, if your relationship or the marriage didn't work, but there wasn't any, some dramatic things that happened, I think that it's, it's the process is it's less about the obsession of like the, what it could have, should have, and what could have happened and all of that. And it's a lot more about loss and mourning, mm-hmm. right? A lot of times yeah. you'll hear people talk about ending of a relationship. It's grief. That's yes. fine, right. Like they talk about, there's like the, the 50 most stressful things that can happen in your life. And I think number one is the loss of a spouse, death. The second one's divorce. And I'm like, they're mm-hmm. pretty much the same. Right. And right. I know that people who have lost partners hate it when people compare divorce to losing someone. No, yes. I've, I've, I've lost a partner and I've gotten divorced <laughs> and I will stand behind what you just said. <laughs> I mean, there's differences, of course, yes. but like it, it's very, there's, it goes, weaves in and out. And the loss, it's not just about the loss of the person. It's the loss of what this person in your life represented to you, right? right. So you're losing this um, idea or picture of what you thought your life was going to look like, what you thought marriage was going to look like, you're losing, or this relationship was going to look like. And it's the loss of right? Being, I think the other part of it too, is being in this steady relationship, being in this secure place and now having to kind of be out in the world on your own again, trying to figure things out. And I think that with these cases, it's much more of a back and forth, right? Like the obsession thing is all like obsessions are all one thing. This is much more of a you know, it feels good to be by myself and making my own decisions and doing my other things. Oh, it feels terrible. I hate this. And I think it's, it's, it's like a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth of, you know, trying to, you're trying to get to the same thing. You're trying to get to this place of understanding yourself and understanding what did this relationship mean to me in my life? How do I take this information and move forward? 
and make yeah. different choices, different mistakes, different everything. How do I do this differently? Because every relationship that we have, just like every job, just like every house, every city changes us, right? We are not, you know, yeah. we're not the same people. We are new people. And so each time, even moving to a new city, right? Each time you do that, you're kind of trying to figure out who am I here now in this world? What does that look right. like? So it's not as dramatic, but it's just as difficult and painful. And the goal, which is always the goal, I always say to people, the goal is always, it's always about figuring out for yourself who, you know, what did that experience mean to me? What can I take from it? What can I learn from it? What do I, um, what do I want to keep doing and what do I want to do differently? Yeah. Right. That's, that's it. And that's how you move forward because a big concept that I teach a lot, especially, I think this was a, it's been a big issue is like this, this fear of failure, right? There's such mm. like, cause, because the end of a marriage or the end of a relationship is a failure or this yeah. toxic guy that won't, that keeps pushing and pulling, like you feel like you failed to hook him in and like make him stay with you um, or make him treat you well, you know, that those life lessons, those failures are really, really important. And we can either see our failures as a flaw about ourselves, or we can see it as something to be learned in our lives and move forward. Yeah. And that's our choice. Yeah. That's, that's everybody's choice. Yeah. And going back to the comparing, you know, the death of a spouse or a loved, uh, a loved one that you're in a relationship with and divorce Divorce in some ways, and again, don't come for me. I've experienced both. Um, <laughs> divorce in some ways has even more complicated emotions because grief fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. I've done episodes on it. I've experienced it. It's a fucking shit emotion to have to deal with. Yeah. And you never know when you're fully through it and it can hit you years later and it's just shitty in all aspects. But there's grief, obviously, in losing a loved one. And there's grief in a divorce because you're mourning, A, that person. Um, because in a lot of ways, especially if you don't have kids and like you're moving on from them completely, they really did. It's like a person died. Um, and the grief of, you know, your mourning of this life that you had thought you were going to have and everything that that encompasses. And then there's also the shame factor in the divorce. I will never forget when... I found out I was getting divorced from my ex-husband. My first initial thought was like embarrassment and oh my God, all of those people that came to my wedding, what are they going to think about this? And this is so like, I have, I'm a fucking failure. Mm -hmm. So all of those complex emotions make divorce very weird and difficult to navigate because you're adding all these layers on, um, usually with, with the death, which is horrible. And I wouldn't wish any on either or either of them on anyone, but it's just the grief that you're navigating. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very interesting to compare those two yeah. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's, it's very, very complicated. And I think, you know, um, 
one piece is it's it's also the the other layer of it is with divorce is you know what were what were your own parents marriage like you know my parents are divorced mm. my husband's parents are divorced like you know so both of us are going into this marriage thinking hope this works right like right, with right. no real sense of whether or not you know it's going to work and and there is and i've seen this a lot with people who they're so fearful of getting married because their parents had a horrible divorce and they don't ever want to yeah. go through that again or ever see that again so they won't do that or you know, parents stayed married and they saw how miserable that was. So they're going to get a divorce, right? Like that the relationship that we have with divorce and our families and their perception of it and how we see it. I mean, that adds this whole other layer of, oh my God, what are people going to think? Should I, should I, or shouldn't I? Right. Yeah. Like, the, and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's such a powerful emotion that I know a lot of people stay in marriages that they want mm -hmm. to leave in some capacity and shouldn't be in because of the fear of that shame mm -hmm. and embarrassment. Yeah. Um, or I have to stay for my kids or what will they think? And I always say, you know, it, your kids are going to be okay. And something in life is going to fuck them up. It will probably be you <laughs> or something else will do it for you. Um, but to not, you know, you can't stay in an, unhealthy situation for you and compromise yourself for them. Like they mm -hmm. will thrive more if you're separated and you're both fucking happy and stoked on life. Yes. You know, it, yes. it's not worth risking. Oh, what are people going to think? Oh, the shame. Oh, the embarrassment. None of that is worth it. Like you will get through all of that. And none of that is going to be worth being miserable and compromising yourself. Like life is too freaking long and too freaking short all in one Yes, to stay in something that is unhealthy and not giving you full happiness. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, and that's the part that's really hard is I have, you know, I'll hear this from people who, um, you know, might be having an affair and they're so fearful of telling their partner, right. I'm not happy in the marriage. I'm having this affair. And I'll always say to them, you're not, you're not doing them a favor by staying, you know, right. you cheating on them or wanting to cheat on them or having had this affair and being really miserable. None of this is helping them at all. So yeah. While initially it is going to be incredibly painful and difficult, and they may be angry and resentful towards you in the yeah. end, you both get to where you want to go. It's better for them as well. But again, that, yeah. that's a whole other level of, of relationships, right? Which is who wants, you know, nobody wants to be a bad guy. Nobody right. wants to be a bad right. guy. No one wants to be the person, the horrible person. Nobody wants to be that person. So totally. I mean, whole and I, yeah. I say all the time um, with my ex-husband, like if he would have just come to me and been like, yo, I'm unhappy. Um, we shouldn't have gotten married. I don't want to be married. I would have been like, cool, dude, let's take care of it. Let's get a divorce. We'll figure it out. And we like, I mean, before I found out he was a full-blown sociopath, I was like, we probably could have been friends and had a friendship after that. And I'll never forget the, the first time I ran into him after all of this, you know, news broke about his affair and like, he just like blew up our lives. Um, he was like, you know, you always said if we didn't work out for some reason, we could be friends. I know that we might be far from that now, but I hope we can like have that in the future. And I laughed and was like, you can't do that after you like blatantly disrespected, you know, the marriage, me, my body, like all, all of the things. Um, but if people 
in any situation, not even like a cheating or a divorce or any situation in life would just come up and take accountability and communicate their emotions. Nine times out of 10, the big explosive shit that everybody's so fucking worried about Mm -hmm. coming forward and talking about in the first place would be avoided. Yeah. Yeah. No, it would be, but right. In movies and rom-coms that never happens. That's not part of it. So that's not seen as like the way to go. And And I'll have people ask me, like, how do you know, because I work with young adults, like, how do you know when someone's really an adult? And I said, you know, being an adult means that you own up to your mistakes, you say you're sorry, you own your stuff and you, you know, and then you're able to move forward. Like that to me is a real sign of someone who is an adult. And, and uh, the work of Brene Brown and what she's learned from her research and, and her, um, the years and years she's been doing this research is right. That's the biggest fear. Our biggest fear in life is being seen as vulnerable, but Mm -hmm. if we can, but actually embracing vulnerable, embracing vulnerability, being vulnerable is the most powerful thing that you can do. If you can go out there and be, be vulnerable with people and tell them what you're really thinking and feeling and saying what the truth, what your truth is, which is another phrase that gets used a lot. But if you're able to do that, then you're going to live. She, her phrase is wholehearted life, but you're going to live a full life. It's not always going to be easy. It's, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs, but you know, you will live a life that is actually more freeing and makes you stronger than the person that's constantly like, no, that doesn't bother me or, oh, I'm fine or, oh, I'm this or, oh, I'm that. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm such a big believer in that. And there's so much strength and power in vulnerability and the more people can harness that and really make it a point to live their lives that way. It's incredible what you'll be able to manifest and what will show up for you. Yes. No, absolutely. But you want it really important. What Brene Brown talks about is like, you have to have trust for vulnerability. So it does not, yes. vulnerability is not just, you know, talking to everybody no. the minute you see them and telling me exactly what you think. And you, you cannot, you know, you have to be vulnerable. You need to have trust, have trust. You need to be vulnerable. So the, the relationships that you're vulnerable with, you need, those need to be trustworthy relationships. So that's yes. the other part of it too, is if you're in this really toxic relationship, that is not a trustworthy relationship. This is not the time, you know, this is, so if you can't be vulnerable with your partner and if you can't, if you can't trust your partner, that's huge. So that kind of keeps you just to draw it back to what we're saying in the beginning. It's like, it draws you back a little bit into this cycle of, Mm -hmm. you know, like getting into these toxic relationships where you're never really able to, right? Like fully say what you want to say, be yourself, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there were so many moments in our discussion where people listening were like, oh shit, (laughs) which I love (laughs) uh, because there was so much good stuff in here. Tess, I can't thank you enough for sharing all this and joining us. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online if they want to come check out more of your uh, work and information? Yes, absolutely. So the best place to find me is my website. It's just my name, Tess Brigham, Tess Brigham Coaching, either one.com. And um, I have a mailing list. free mailing list every week. Uh, it's called Sunday mornings with Tess. 
So when you go onto the website, you can find it there to sign up. And I have products and, and I do courses and all that. You can find it all on the website. But if you're an Instagram person, <laughs> I am also on Instagram, Tess underscore Brigham. And I give a lot of a lot of the tips and tricks and information that we're talking about here today. This is a lot of what I talk about on Instagram and in my reels and all of that. Awesome. Thank you so much for being oh, here. It was such you. a pleasure. Thank you so much. I want to thank Tess so much for coming on and giving all of us those oh shit and aha moments in today's episode. I hope you guys got as much out of it as I did and are working on retraining those fucking brains. All right, we are going to take a turn now and jump into some of your FML stories. Here's number one. My name is Amy, aka Maya Soul, and do I have a FML story for you? I hugged someone at a party. As we hugged, I felt the fireball of energy ignite in my root chakra, burning throughout my entire body, shooting out the top of my head like a firework. This in turn triggered my kundalini spiritual awakening within me. As he walked away, I thought to myself, wow, what was that? Where are you going? Take me home with you. I love you. All weird thoughts to have considering I was home and married to someone else. The rose-colored glasses came off instantly. I realized that my husband was very toxic. He was narcissistic, controlling, and abusing me on so many different levels. It made me physically sick to be around him. On the other hand, the person who I hugged was obsessively in my headspace 24-7, and I couldn't get him out. It was annoying. We became full-blown telepathic. He was sending me visions through his eyes. And bonus, orgasms from a distance. My spiritual gifts intensified. I was seeing shadow people, orbs, and white figures. Spirit was sending me messages at an alarming rate, and I didn't know what to do or how to control it. I felt like I was going insane as I watched my entire life fall apart and fade into the darkness within four months' time. This was why I published my personal diary into a tell-all book. I want to be that guiding light that I didn't have on this journey. Igniting the flame within my twin flame story to union is actually my story back to finding the love within myself. Because if you don't love yourself, who can love you the way you deserve to be loved? I faced some of my deepest, darkest shadows and dove deep, but I came out on the other side and I am so proud of me. I am publishing a second book on how to navigate a spiritual awakening and heal on a soul level. For more information, you can check out my website, www.mayasoul1111.com. Again, it's www.mayasoul1111.com. I love you all. Bye for now. Holy shit. Okay. First of all, I swear to God, we don't pre-select these fucking FML stories. And it always is so funny to me how perfectly they fit into each episode. Um, little side note, I did when she DM'd me originally tell her that she could please drop the name of her book and feel free to plug it. I did not know her story in depth. 
I need to know so many fucking things. I need to know how there were orgasms happening from a distance. I need to know if you continued talking to this person. I need to know if you guys ended up together. Were there orgasms in person? I need so many fucking answers. Um, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm in. You sold me. I'll be reading the fucking book. <laughs> okay, here is story number two. Hey, Gabrielle. This is my FML story high school edition. So I'm going to set the scene for you. I am a 16-year-old socially awkward introvert who didn't have a lot of friends. And my American history class was mainly boys, also 16. I was wearing a skirt, sandal wedges, and a thong. There was one boy in the class that liked to pick on me because he thought he was flirting. And I, we had those stupid chairs where the desk was connected to the chair and I was trying to slip through two of them to get to my desk when he decided to slam the two desks together to trap me in between them thinking he was being funny. However, I was also mid-step and ended up only getting one ankle caught and I tripped trying to get out of his little game. Unfortunately, I tripped, fell forward, had to catch myself on the chair that I almost smacked into, broke my arm, sprained my ankle, and had to go to the nurse's office because, oh, did I mention I broke my arm? Yeah, the highlight of that for everybody in the class was that my skirt flew up to my head and every 16-year-old boy in that class saw my behind. Needless to say, I was thankful it was a Friday and I got to stay home for the weekend because I did not want to show my face in that class again. The teacher, who was also male, didn't have much sympathy for me. He was not uh, very sympathetic to my situation. He was kind of mean to the girls. And basically just every time this boy picked on me from there out, um, told me I got what I deserved. So needless to say, Gabrielle, high school was not my favorite four years of my life. Luckily, I've gone on to bigger and better things since then. However, I definitely don't miss high school. Okay, so first of all, fuck you, teacher. I mean, what the actual fuck? She broke her arm. And let's talk about how traumatizing it is as a 16-year-old girl in high school to unintentionally flash your ass in a thong, which is essentially nothing, to all of these boys that are picking on you. I had an experience, I think it was my junior year, and I you know, was dating my high school sweetheart, didn't give a shit, would like go in a messy bun with like sweats on. And we were all outside in the quad, we called it area. And I will never forget this guy who I was friends with um, comes up to me and his name was Ali, just to put you on fucking blast, bro. <laughs> um, comes up behind me when I'm having a conversation with my girlfriend and straight up pulls my sweatpants down to my ankles and I was wearing nothing but a thong and had to literally bend down, like squat down, ass out, and pull my fucking sweats up with like all of these people around me. And it was so mortifying, even with my I don't give a fuck attitude, it was mortifying. So I can't imagine not having 
that and having that happen to you. Oh my God, girl, I am so sorry. What a awful freaking FML moment and memory to have. Um, and again, fuck that teacher. Not cool, bro. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast for all the behind the scenes goodies and our giveaways that we do monthly. If you need more FML Talk content, you can come join us on Patreon where there are full mini bonus episode seasons. They are all wildly uncut and all of the juicy shit that we cannot air publicly on this show. As always, have a self-love cocktail on me and track your fucking thoughts. Bye. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.